0: Welcome to New Polities Podcast, the politics of tyranny, where we talk about tyrants, the do's and don'ts, how to be one, how to kill one. (laughs) Um, Here on the pro-tyrant side, we have Andrew Willard-Jones, author of many pro-tyranny books, (laughs) such as How to Rule the Church and the State. Right. And I haven't written any books, so I'm against tyranny. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. Last time we talked about, so we've had only two episodes so far, but what we're trying to do is really give a thick description of tyranny because we live under one and it sucks. Mm -hmm. I think so. Anyways, I agree. I'm not enjoying it. (laughs) Not a fan. And it's important to realize that living under a tyranny has all of these pockets and spaces where you're not actually living under a tyranny. That's part of why we want to do this podcast is that so that people who feel the weight of tyranny realize that it's actually a kind of limited portion of life and you can you can mitigate it. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, there's
1: a sort of pitiful weakness to it.
0: There is. The weakness of the tyrant is is apparent in all of his acts of supposed strength. And we're going to talk about that. What we began with was a simple definition. It's from uh, Thomas, who's getting it from Aristotle, and it's really just a common sense definition that the tyrant is the one who rules for private gain. Mm -hmm. And then what we discussed is the fact that that's repulsive. Everyone thinks so. If you have even in an interpersonal relationship, if you suddenly are saying, oh, this man who's telling me what to do. Is just trying to get what he wants. Right. He has no concern for my good or a common good. You don't like him, and you don't want to do it. you don't believe
1: him anymore. Right. right. You don't want You don't like him.
0: So you do one of two things: either you then also become a tyrant in resistance, because you then say, "Well, then screw him. I'm going to work for my mm-hmm. private good," and then you're you've started a tyrannical society, right? Right. Um, or you kill him, or <laughs> or you try to convert him. So those or you su- be-
1: yeah 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 yeah. I guess you could submit. Yes. Which is a, which is a, which is.
0: A form of getting what you want yeah yeah right. unfortunately right but then what we discussed was the fact that because it's repulsive tyranny is characterized by masking itself um, so it's wrong and, and a little silly to look for the sort of strong man in the room imposing his will on a cowering slave population if you want to find a tyranny um, right. that can be helpful to discuss some of the attributes of tyranny but you have to understand is the tyrant is the one who wants to do that but because of his own human limitations can't quite and because of the repulsion people feel and and the rebellion that it instills in people he can't quite do that i mean that's why that's why in in movies like star wars there's something a little silly i think about like um the the moments where the emperor is like really just evil right uh because it's obvious that if he were not at least trying to be a little
1: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think, I think w- one of the things we get when, when we have our image of tyranny yeah. is that we, like you said, there's this idea of the tyrant and then the cowering, the cowering population underneath him. But and it's not that that doesn't happen. That there are populations that can be completely just physically abused yeah. and be in, in, in dire submission. But the real tyranny or the mechanisms of, of tyranny that we're talking about is how does that tyrant control his army that's doing that? Right. It's not about the relationship between the tyrant and the cowering masses. Right. It's the, the polity, the tyrannical polity is the polity of all the people following his orders. Yeah, how, how do they... So how that's they, the interesting thing. Totally. Right? Otherwise, you're just talking about a war. Right. Which is, I guess, can be kind of interesting, but it's rather simple. It is. It's right? a, yeah, it's a simple equation. The, 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 the tyrannical the tyrannical sort of trick is getting the army, getting the army, <laughs> so, getting,
0: getting people to do, to do your will, right. Um, to want to do your will, even though you're just in it for private gain. that's right. where the necessity of a mask of an idol of something that, that doesn't allow the tyrant as tyrant to come into focus. And what we talked about in our last podcast was one of the mechanisms of that is, is bureaucracy. Yeah, uh, and in, in bureaucracy, you have people who are, Um, motivated to do the will of the tyrant, not as the will of the tyrant, but insofar as it's for their own private gain, right? right? So this is the movement from vocation to jobs. This is the creation of people who are trying to identically repeat the law of the tyrant into the life of the community without any concern for difference Mm -hmm. or particularity of person. And the reason they're doing that is ultimately because they're scared to not get money, (laughs) (laughs) they they desire money and they don't want to lose money. And and this is a a form of rule Mm -hmm. necessitated by, um, the desire to rule for private gain. Like you have to create people that are not in it for anything but themselves or else, how are you going to get, you know, like you said, an army, how are you going to enforce? Because usually what, what, what motivates, what motivates me is when someone shows me a good, Mm -hmm. and says now let's let's work together to get it right that's hugely motivating like you know we live in a city that has a lot of problems and it it doesn't occur to me to be particularly motivating if one of our politicians were to say jump on board because i i want to make some more money for myself right that would
1: be (laughs) doesn't
0: really work somewhat typical of our town in some ways but not (laughs) not what you want to hear at very least you want to hear someone say hey we're in this together. We all live in this town. We want good things. We want families right. to be happy. We want businesses to thrive. So I've got a plan here. And uh, So there, there, I need there you help. you're talking
1: about some notion of the common
0: good. Some notion of the common good. However right. weak, it's it's saying we're all a part of the same project. So Yeah, help. so so even if it's yeah. a
1: fraudulent common yeah. good, it's an appeal to the, the idea yes. of the common good. Yeah. I think there's also the motivator uh, the, the sort of the flip side of that would be motivation through fear. Yeah. That's so right. the, the, which is, which is really the flip side. So that is, it would be the motivation through fear of losing a good. Right? Right. And gaining one. Totally. Right. So, so, um, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to take your children away.
0: Right. That would be scary.
1: Scary. <laughs> right. And that, and like, okay, well then I'll, I'll, I'll do what you say, not because I care about the achievement of your ends, but because I care about the achievement of my ends, which are, The health and safety of my children. Totally, totally, right. And so they're all I will obey you. So fear is another is another aspect of 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 motivation, but it's it's a dangerous one, isn't it? Because there's a couple different things going on, I think. But one of the main things is that fear is directly parasitical on some prior love or some prior good, right? Right. So you obey out of fear because you have some commitment to something else. That the person threatening you is not the source of, mm-hmm. so this maybe reveals a sort of crack in the power of the tyrant when he has to rule through fear. Through, and,
0: and I think we should be clear here that fear is the mechanism of tyranny that we want to that we want to speak of. Yeah, because so in Aquinas he talks about um, the kind of typical vices. Of the tyrant, and one of the one of the vices he mentions is cruelty, mm-hmm. right? Which cruelty? I mean, it, it has a specific meaning in Aquinas in, in relation to punishment, but understood most broadly, it is the creation of fear, so the infliction of pain, and and so as a result, um, the creation of a, of a desire to avoid that pain, which is just
1: that's what fear is, right? right? That's right, because um, we always fear the loss of a good. So that, but one of the things that's interesting here is that we're saying cruelty here then becomes a characteristic of tyranny um, in of itself. Like the the existence of cruelty is a part of the mechanism of this tyranny. Because what he needs to do is find areas of value, areas of devotion, areas of love, areas of peace Mm -hmm. that exist and then to subject them to pain, right? So to threaten them. To, to make them vulnerable, to make the people who are enjoying them suffer in their enjoyment. of it. And, and again, let's be clear why. It's because... Then he can get them to do what he wants.
0: Yeah. So, so the, the problem with having a good for a tyrant is that when someone, when someone has a good simply, then they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And one of the characteristics of enjoyment is rest, that they right. can't really be motivated to do more. So I mean, just think about it. If you are happy <laughs> with what you have, um, then you're not going to work for more. That's right. If you're if you're making enough, then you you don't work for more. If you're full, then you don't strive after food. If you are happy with your family, then you don't sit at home and and think, what am I going to do with my life? Because you have a life, you know. <laughs> Well, you might still do that for other reasons, but
1: there's a great example of this. I could give historically, I think yeah, it's please. very interesting. So there was in the, in the, I believe it was in the, in the middle of the 18th century. So our 17th century, I should say, I think 1600s in England, when they're starting to commercialize agriculture yeah, and they're starting to develop the economic theory to, to explain how this works and all this kind of stuff. And they, and they, and they're, so they're turning the peasants, they're starting to turn the peasants into laborers rather than um, sort of landed population
0: subsistent.
1: Right. And and they want them to work more. They want them to farm faster, they want them to to, to work more. And so there's a there's a, an attempt where they say, well, let's pay them more for every bushel of grain. Right? We'll pay them more. Yeah. And then they'll work more because they'll be worth more. They're it. motivated by the same things we are. Yeah. Profit. So they'll <laughs> want to work more. And so they raise how much they'll pay them for a bushel of grain. And, and it, what ends up happening is they work less. <laughs> and the reason why, of course, is because they could get the same level of subsistence for less work. Okay. And what they were, they weren't after some sort of climbing. They were after a stability of a way of life that they were enjoying, right? Like they didn't want it to change.
0: Yeah, and so
1: it's like, well, I could work less thing. I don't want to do and Enjoy the thing I'm enjoying more. So that's what I'll do. So the solution to that problem was to pay them less. Fear. So now they have scarcity. Yeah. Now they, and they have to work more right. in order to um, to support their families, basically. So this right, and this is the birth of capitalism, right? <laughs> so. Which is
0: which is just part of uh, of our particular tyranny, I would say. Right, and, and when we have and again i don't mean to in some ways it sounds very simplistic right like tyrants are mean people they're cruel people right they hurt people but it's important to realize that it's not because they're simply sadistic or something like that Um, but because hurting people effectively motivates action or it can it can motivate action where there was no motivation before and if you are a tyrant then you are ruling for private gain Right? Mm-hmm. And if it is true that people don't want to obey people that are ruling for their private gain, then you have to give them a motivation where they wouldn't naturally have one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, And so again, like this can seem really obvious, but to threaten them in any moment where there's security, where there's peace, where there's rest, where there's the enjoyment of a good, mm-hmm. to threaten that good is sufficient to create a Population that is not motivatable, let's say, into a population that is at least potentially motivatable. Right. Right. So you've got so this. So I'm not just saying like maybe a tyrant will do this. I'm saying a tyrant has to do this. This is, a tyrant this is, this has is a, a, to yeah, use cruelty to and fear. Of Imagine, if you will. I mean, we talked about last time that one of the things that characterized the rise of bureaucracy, which is a tyrannical form, um, was the need to destroy other, uh, locuses of power. Right. right? Um, exactly. But it wasn't simple. It'd be too simple just to say it was power. It was also forms of life, ways of living that were complete, that were sort of satisfied and and restful. They had their own logic. They had their own, um, you know, you think about like the guilds, for instance, I don't Mm -hmm. mean to romanticize them. It's just that whatever you say about them, you certainly can say that, a person who entered a guild as an apprentice, moving up to be a master, had a sort of good that was presented to him quite apart from the power of, say, any kind of raving absolutist Absolutely. monarch. Right. right, right, right. So they simply don't need the sovereign within that system any more than a man enjoying like a barbecue with his family needs Seven That's powers. right. Yeah. So they they, the- they, they,
1: it is, it is a, a point of resistance. Um, this is the irony, I guess, is that, is that the point, points of resistance are also the place where the tyrant can find his strength. Yes. Right. So, so he has to find places like that that are potential points of resistance in order to motivate the action. So, so, I mean, obvious examples would be like, would be like, um, it, it, why did, why do soldiers fight for tyrants? Well, they they fight for tyrants maybe because they love their family back home and they want to protect them. And if the war, if they lose the war their family's going to be, you know, killed or something. Okay. So they will fight for the tyrant, but that's the exact same motivation that might fight them, might uh, motivate them to fight against the tyrant totally. once they get back home. Totally, yeah. Right. But he needs that motivation. So, so. This is this is so the 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 game of the tyrant then is is trying to play those things off each other in society, mm-hmm. yeah. trying to if one gets too powerful, one locus of love or 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 or, or power or some value becomes too much, you mm-hmm. want to stamp that down and then maybe have to foster one someplace else. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to have
0: yeah,
1: you have to have something. So you you have to have things that people. Um, that sort of take the role of that common good idea, or that you know you have to have some sort of a a, a good that people are, are at least willing to suffer for, because they're not going to suffer for your rule. Obviously. Right, because you're is for yourself. Right. So this goes to the idea of cruelty, though, right? Because because you have to both sort of allow the development of a value, mm-hmm. so that you can hurt it. Totally. Right. And this is, this is like as cruel as one can get.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you think about like, and I think maybe it's conservatives, maybe it's just like from watching movies a lot, but we're kind of wrong about tyrannies in this regard. Cause I think when we think of a tyrant, you think of a Hitler, maybe a Stalin or someone, and we have, we're kind of historically ignorant, so we don't really know what they were doing, but we have this kind of immediate impression that they had this, um, this bad desire, to destroy some good things and that they went really hard on trying to destroy the good things. Right. And that's, that's wrong with what you're saying because right. if you really destroy the good thing, then you no longer have the basis on which to motivate people to do one thing versus another. Mm-hmm. So for one, one way I see this is that it, within like sort of conservative thought, there's a lot of alarm about like the destruction of the family, right. right? Like there's this good, we call it the family. And then we look at the the regime and we say, oh, look at all these sort of progressive um, uh, policies and sort of fashions mm-hmm. that, and look how anti-family they are. They want to destroy the family. But I don't think that's true. I think there are, I think it's actually cruelty at work and mm-hmm. what cruelty needs to do is to maintain enough love of the family in order to motivate people through threats to that same family. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like that's why we have like, (laughs) I mean, you think about, we have absolutely like we're we're willing to kill our children. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have a a regime of abortion, but you think about the media we consume, it's like intensely pro family. It's like almost saccharine at times. Right. It's just this, like there's nothing we love more than children as we kill children. And it's not, absurd or paradoxical, it makes perfect sense, right? In order for the threat against um, the child, the security, the love, the peace of the family to be effective, you have to at the same time with your other hand, keep a somewhat of a love for families present.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, don't you think that one of the things that the conservatives are seeing yeah is, is the shifting norms that surround families. Sure. Right. So like, so they, they'll, they see that as an attack on the family. in a certain sense it is, if by what you mean by that is the, is the sort of mid-century typical family, it is shifting to different norms, but, but what are, what are the new norms that are still relying upon it's that good of family life. So, so, so why is it important to have fewer children and have them later? because that's the responsible thing to do because you have to get your career established because you have to be able to save enough money right. to provide them for college because you have to right? because they have to pay for a good school for them. to
0: go right. to. So like, or like, why is it normal to cohabitate? Well, because you want to make sure you really love that person, person so, that, out, be, yeah, so that so as a still, family, you succeed, you don't divorce, you're, you're yeah, happier. So right? even though, even yeah. though
1: these, I think these social norms, these the, are, are designed, um, In part, they are designed at this point in in the history of our tyranny, I think, to weaken the strength of family units as alternative uh, alternative sources of social power Totally. Yeah. They're doing that not by killing the loves that underwrite those alter those alternative units of social power but by diverting them Totally. Um, to other things. So now because of the love of children you're going to serve your corporation better. Right.
0: Yeah, because because you, you want know, a beautiful loving marriage
1: you're going to cohabitate. Right. Right. You're going to, yeah, whatever. So, so it's like it becomes, so there's some truth to it. I guess what I'm saying is there's some, there's some truth to that, that conservative perception.
0: Well, and one way to look at it is uh, ask yourself, okay, well, what, would it mean? What, who's the person that really doesn't care about family? Is he valued in the regime? No, he's a criminal. Right. Um, so it's not, it's not as simple as,
1: I mean, this is amazing. Even. I, I noticed this when I was watching uh, the Olympics last summer and there were all these commercials and, and we don't watch a whole lot of like normal TV. And so I don't see commercials a lot, but <laughs> we were seeing a bunch of commercials and it was eye opening, exciting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but one of the things I noticed was the way in which the new norms surrounding sexual morality had been had been integrated into what seemed to me to be the old norms about family life. Yeah. Right. So there, you know, of course there's homosexuality in the commercials and all that fine, whatever. Okay. But it was now like an image of quaint suburban husbands and husbands with their children making lunches as they go off to school. Right. It wasn't, so it was like the new norm is within still making use of the old old norm. Yeah. Right? And not and not destroying
0: it. You're right, right, totally. Right. And it's like what we what we're trying to to point out here is that the mechanism of tyranny, when we talk about the the installation of fear as a mechanism of mechanism of tyranny, it's not the replacement of a good norm with a bad norm. It's not even necessarily the replacement it could it could even look like a bad norm replaced by a good norm. Like you exactly. can have a sort of superficially pro-family tyranny, mm-hmm. right? It can have, you know, rewards for having more kids rather than less. No, but what's fundamental is that the norms are now shiftable. That's right. So what yeah. that family might be, or, or not just the family, but whatever the human behavior might be, can be shifted by the implementation of threat. Mm-hmm. So the point is that the value has become rootless.
1: That's right. Yeah. So I see, I see what you're saying.
0: So now the question then is within a tyranny. So we have these, we have these values within a tyranny. Like, well, what do we like? We like, we like all of these, we like marriage, we like family, we like, you know. Peace, but now the difference is uh, within a tyranny we're more willing to shift the content of those things Mm -hmm. and i think i think you you sort of opened my eyes to this a little bit when it it came because i mean maybe this is just that you've had a little more time you're not that old but you've had had a little more time to see like a shifting of values it's really
1: amazing yeah i mean I, i i've been able to see so, so in my in just my own experience with my own family, I've seen this. So, so an example, an example I think I gave you the other day or this morning was was that um, among the cousins in my family, there's a huge age gap. All right, so we have you know I don't know 25 years or something like that. Okay, so you had the older ones who who came to adulthood and married and did all that first, and then the ones on the other end who came like basically a generation later. And the changes in the norms surrounding that movement into family life is itself very interesting. So in the beginning, cohabitation is very rare. This is something that our family doesn't do. This is something right that's unusual. By the end, it's 100% the norm, okay? Just like totally normal thing to do. Okay, that's interesting in its own right. But what's really interesting is the change in the way in which the ants reacted to it? <laughs> All right, so like in the beginning, that was a scandal. It was cohabitation was something that they were a bit embarrassed about. That they that they were surprised that their that their daughters would do, right? Um, by the end of the, the generation of cousins, it's almost completely reversed where like people who aren't cohabitating are the weird ones. Mm-hmm. What, what are they like, really religious or something like, what are they, right? Is there, why wouldn't they do that, right? Um, because, it, because the shifting in the norm becomes, or the norm itself becomes what's identified as, I mean, I guess we could say as what's moral, right? So what's normal becomes what's moral. Uh, and the reason why is because the system of, uh, I think, the system of rewards and punishments that go along with that norm, right? So what are those things? Well, you, if, you, if you behave in the normal way for your socioeconomic class, then you'll get the rewards of your socioeconomic class. If you behave in, the, in an abnormal way for your class, then you'll, you'll be treated by society as one of the lower classes. Right. So they're the ones who don't follow the norms, Mm -hmm. the lower ones. Right. So, so it may very well become perfectly normal for a a middle-class family, for people to live together before they're married. But it's still not normal to have a baby before you're married. Sure. Yeah. It's still not normal to not go to college. Right. Right. So they might, they're not embarrassed anymore about one of their daughters. Cohabitating, but they very embarrassed about someone not going to college. Right, 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 right. Very embarrassed. Like that becomes that now is something that you have to do. Now, so what's going on? It's like the norms are shifting um, based upon what? Right? Like, like how are they shifting? What's the what's the social impetus that's changing that? Why? What whose interest isn't in, is, is that in? Mm-hmm. Right? Those sh- those those shifting norms. Um, and that's the question that we're trying to get at here, and I think the answer is well, it's in the interests of a whole tyrannical sort of regime to do this, and it's not—it's not merely that, it, that the actual shift in sort of intrinsically, like it's better for them for people to cohabitate than to not cohabitate. It's also better for them for the shift itself to occur. Okay, right? why? Because the shift itself then. It is instead of instead of it being instead of the social norms being um, coming from sort of below, so coming out of being uh, the tradition of the community or the sort of like deep moral law that they're living, mm-hmm. right? Instead, the norms become received extrinsically. Sure. Okay. So the reason why it the reason why these norms have shifted is because of what's on TV. Right. The reason why these norms have shifted is because what marketing is doing, what yeah. what the advertisements are proposing, what yeah. the celebrities are showing, what the what what the laws the government is 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 advancing, right? The way in which the economy is being structured um, so that certain career paths have more rewards than others. These are these are things that are coming from above and without yeah. that are then um, disrupting. What you could say, disrupting that what was once a sort of peaceful traditional way of living, right, Mm -hmm. moral way of living, right, and that's the source of those new norms, right. So shifting those norms is a way of, I mean, it itself is efficacious in, in 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 creating that that pain or that fear, right. Right. So how do you know what the right thing to do is? Well, you've got to look around and see what the powerful people are doing. Sure right like you don't know what used to be the right thing is not the right thing anymore mm-hmm. so how do you know what it is mm-hmm. you got you, you have to be receptive to what's coming down from above right totally. you have to be receptive to what the powerful and, and are, the, are are showing you
0: and the very act of shifting the norms whatever direction it may be in makes people afraid because it means that you now live in a society in which you might get it wrong that's right. right you might do the wrong thing and then as a result of doing the wrong thing you might be in your mind wrongly associated with an outcast or with someone who someone who's sort of at the
1: bottom well one of the things that shifting norms does is create that that deviant class what right? do you mean because there are people who don't keep up oh right yeah, yeah. there are people <laughs> who don't change there's there are people who you know and so when as you shift them you maintain a, a, a sort of class of, of deviants or, you know, delinquents. Yeah. And, and one of the things that really motivates the non-delinquent class is that they don't want to become a delinquent,
0: <sighs> right, totally. right? And so they
1: don't, they, they, they're aware not only of what their, their peers are doing, they're aware of what their, the people who are below them are doing, what mm-hmm. they look like, the way they behave, the way they act, and you don't want to do that. Right. right Now, you have to maintain that through, through shifting norms. I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, maybe an analogy would be the way like fashion works in high school or something. And we all experience this when you're kids, that like the cool kids have what's cool clothing-wise. And that's changing in like real time. Like, yeah. That is changing fast. And one of the ways you identify the in-group and the out-group is are they keeping up? Right. Right? Like, do they recognize the subtleties of the fashion? Are they doing, are they wearing their collar just the right way? Are they doing it the way they did it last week? Are they, you know what I mean? And, and the the shifting of the norm itself is a part of the mechanism of maintaining the power of the cool kids. Right. Right. And, and that's, that, that's the way, I mean, that's partially the way norms work um, in tyrannies in general. So, I
0: mean, it's fascinating what you're saying. what, What, again, what, what, your arguing seems to be not what people normally think. So what I think usually is thought is that the tyrant is the one who has the bad norm, right? And he tries to enforce it, right? But what you're saying is that the um, shifting of the norms itself, so making things that were once normal abnormal and making things that were once abnormal normal mm-hmm. in a more rapid way than than happens within peaceful peoples right uh, who are not under tyrants i guess well um, and, and in this, an irrational way so a way yeah. that, in
1: a way that doesn't totally that doesn't seem to be in their interests
0: yes so but, right. but doing this essentially unhinges people from um other alternative sources of of security and mm-hmm. peace and make inserts fear where there previously was no fear that's right and now they're motivatable to do certain things because they are now afraid of becoming um, a delinquent class that doesn't keep up right so this is this seems to be true in that like any um, any innovation so I see this in, in like on the side of capital and also on the side of like government so I'll give two examples that I think maybe we'll ring true uh the on the side of innovation right there's like the constant mandate to consume um always means that there's a the production of the 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 newest version of something Mm -hmm. right um and that it's not simply that the person who doesn't have the newest version is like uh, out of date in some kind of uh, historical sense it's also that there's a certain opprobrium there's a certain yeah. like and i and I've actually felt this right because i I um have a dumb phone, yeah, which of course now that's becoming cool in some ways, so there's certain populations yeah, yeah, in right. which it, it this doesn't work, but um at first, when it was just a when it was just a shift in technology from the dumb to the smart, it was just a okay, you haven't gotten the new thing yet, um, but then once you resist and it's a little more time's gone on, then it's something disdainful. Now you're poor. Mm -hmm. Poor people have this. I remember I went into a Verizon and someone asked me, he just asked me, are you a crack dealer? Because I asked for a dumb phone versus a smartphone. So it's what you're saying I think is very literal in the sense of it's not the case that we all just have this, oh, we just happen to have technological progress that innovates every other week, and then if we don't keep up, it's like, oh, well, we have different devices. No, 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 no. It is certainly the creation of an increasingly criminalized class. That's Grand, right. The dumb phone. I'm, I, you know, I don't feel that criminalized. <laughs> I'm okay. I'll be fine. Yeah, I, also I mean, I remember like,
1: I was. I, so I, I spent some years working in the in the tech the tech industry in uh, in Washington State, and and uh, I mean, there were instances where I was in meetings talking with people. You know, a couple of meetings with people from Apple and stuff like this, where. Where the uh, the obsolescence of the machinery came up, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're designing stuff for this equipment and it's going to die in three years or something, and 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 it was awesome because they're like, well, yeah, the the people can't wait for that to die, like they're they're excited when their phone doesn't work anymore Mm -hmm. because that means they get to buy a new one, Mm -hmm. right? They they don't want it to last for a long time, Mm -hmm. right? Like like if it lasted for a long time, they'd be stuck with it.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, it might sound trivial, but that's such an interesting way of putting it, right? Because to be stuck with something, to be content with something, mm-hmm. is precisely that moment when you're no longer a motivatable population. Right. Yeah. Like if you are happy, yeah. then they can't sell you anything, and and if you're happy, they can't make you afraid, right? If that happiness is secure.
1: But right? the, the the brilliance of this of this sort of engineered obsolescence thing, and that which is what we're talking about, is that. The, the 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 motivation of the tyrant so the motivation to sell you a new thing every couple of years is perfectly congruent with your motivation to have the new thing every couple of years. Sure. Right? Like like what what's produced in the norm of having the new things and that is a, a way in which status is achieved socially is exactly the the desire, the fondness for the the, what's making the, the software company or the tech company wealthy? Right. Right. So you become, you know, you become a, 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 a valuable member of their regime, right. Essentially. Right. Right. And that's the way, and that's when I say norms, this is, this is what's interesting because we're not talking, when we talk about fear and we're talking about, uh, you know, systems of rewards and punishments, we're not necessarily talking about being flogged or something. In fact, more often, in fact, almost always the case, what you're actually talking about are systems of norms that are established, right that are, are the, the way in which you demonstrate your submission to the regime and the way in which they identify who needs to be rewarded. Gotcha. right? So, so so for example, I think that when you and this isn't this isn't some sort of like crazy conspiracy. This is structural, right? Like the structure works this way. So you know, if you conform to the norms, say the middle-class norm of going to college and getting a bachelor's degree. Okay. Let's just assume for sake of argument that there's no actual value to a bachelor's degree. Like you don't actually learn anything, which is pretty close to true. Probably true. Yeah. Pretty close to true. Okay. So there's no, it doesn't actually make you better at anything, right? So you, but if you conform to the norm, it does in fact change the way, the way in which you can achieve middle-class success right? You do in fact need to have that credential in order to get a job, a white collar job or something like yeah. that, right? So the the conformity to the norm opens up the rewards, right? Mm-hmm. But the norm itself has no rational basis, mm-hmm. right? It has, no, it has no actual contribution to your happiness in of itself or something like that. Yeah, totally. Right. So that's just one example of the way it works Overall, I mean, I think we see this, you can see this in, um, in, in, in like politi- obvious examples would be like politically correct language and stuff like that on university campuses right, where yeah. like you have to conform and the conformity itself uh, totally divorced from the content of the language that's meaningless, Like, What is meaningful is the conformity itself. And then if you do that, you actually do achieve the rewards, yeah. right? Like it does pay, they do pay you off. Yeah. 10 years right? and such. Yeah. So they, so they work is <laughs> yeah, the point they do. And that, and that is not, and that is not like Nazi SS soldiers, you know, beating people with their rifle butts. That's not, that's that's what happens to the delinquents. That's what happens to the people who aren't conforming to the norm. Right. Right. Um, it's the SS soldiers that are the ones that are conforming to the norm.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. So, so tyranny is characterized, by a deliberate shifting of norms to disrupt any possibility of a stable enjoyment of peace, of rest, whereby a people becomes unmotivatable. I think that's what we're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and I've it, it seems
0: like you see this um, not simply in... So we say norms, and, and we often it can often seem like this simply means you know ideas mm. but i think it's important to say that this is a actual uh, ordering of society because the main things that make people free from fear and therefore unmotivatable by a tyrannical reasoning um or lack thereof um are those ways in which they have Um, security. So I'm thinking especially Mm -hmm. of property and then I'm thinking especially of, um, sanity or like, like, um, virtue in the sense of you are at, you're well with yourself Mm -hmm. in some ways, like you're not, um, sick, you're not like needy psychologically in Mm -hmm. some way. Um, and then family. Right. Um, Where uh, what a family is, is probably the most potent example we have of a human life attaining, not to a self-sufficiency, but to a kind of enjoyment um, that an enjoyment of what the person has at his own disposal and within a community of people that um, love each other. And and so they they don't they don't participate in the in tyrannical logic because your kids don't love you um, because you're offering a series of rewards and punishments and you don't love your kids for gain Mm -hmm. one would hope and then one would hope the husband and wife relationship is not just a sort of coordinated um, maximizing of of your mutual utility but is in fact love and. And those things, so uh, you know, property, um, health, and um, family, family, are also attacked under tyranny for that reason. So, so, and but they're attacked in precisely the way that tyrants attack them. Like they, um, it's not like we can't own anything right? We still have to own some things in order to have the ability to be motivated by the loss of those things. But what the story of tyranny has been, has been the dispossession of most people. Most people own very little in terms of land, in terms of productive property, in terms of their own homes, in terms
1: of their own abilities. Um, Well, yeah. yeah. And the, the, an aspect of that is, is substituting what once counted as property for something else,
0: right? Yeah, like for some kind of random- so.
1: So, what was once property? I mean, this is clear even in like the writings of Leo the Thirteenth or something. He talks about property, and it's obvious he's talking about land, yeah. right? And now people talk about property, and they're talking about like shares in funds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're not even talking about ownership of stock anymore. Yeah. Right? It's not even like you own the shares in the company, you own shares in a fund and then the, whoever, whatever company owns the fund, owns the shares in the stock. Yeah, you don't right. even own those, <laughs> right? And it's like, well, that's ownership. Like, what do I own? It's like, well, I own, I've paid into a scheme to get some return, yeah. but I don't actually own anything, but we call that ownership. Yeah. 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 Right now that, and it, it, it fulfills some of the same functions of ownership, mm-hmm. right? Like, because there's a need for a family, say, to support. their their children materially, okay, well, so you have an anxiety about doing that. There's different ways that can be solved. One way would be through the ownership of productive property that you actually own like things that you own that produce wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Another, but then you could, and this is the the act of the tyrant then is to say, well, that's not, that doesn't work well for me. That mitigates my power. So what I'll do is make that foolish yes, and make the norm then, or the thing that's responsible, the thing that makes more financial sense, the thing is to take that and invest it. Right mm-hmm. to give it over to other more powerful people, right? Which actually makes you not independent, but exactly the opposite, right? right. So you're, you're, you're the, the desire to provide for your family is motivating you to become dependent upon the big structures rather than independent from them. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Or are you thinking about like t- and that works through the norms, like right, like like it becomes the social norm to be a savvy investor.
0: Oh totally, yeah. I mean, right. the, the idea of refi- I mean, we've talked about this before in different contexts, but the idea of refusing to invest uh, with a four hundred one k is not just like you've chosen one particular option with the money that's rightfully yours. It's uh, a sign of yeah, like like foolishness of not keeping up. And so this the, is so responsibility. This is so much
1: the case, and they've been so successful at establishing that norm that. In this new big budget bill that they're going to pass, I think, or they might pass whatever. I'm not keeping up on the details of that. It it has a provision that has mandated 401ks. Right. Yeah. So so we will be everyone will be enforced to now. Why? Like you could imagine. Oh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that would have seemed outrageous to force people to invest. But it's become so normalized that for most people, be like, well, that just makes sense. Right. Totally. Why wouldn't you? cool <laughs> right like that's just the responsible thing to do
0: right yeah totally right you know so it's
1: like it the the norms operate in it, it's not it doesn't have to be a sort of groveling fear is the point but it always is ultimately fear because it's rooted in anxiety mm-hmm. right it's rooted in desire like you were saying the desire to substitute one state of affairs for another yeah
0: and and, and this is the, this is how tyranny works it it I mean, look at the, at the scriptures, you know, again, it's, it's the production of a people who are scared and to make people scared, you have to take away their peace. You have to take away their rest. And that does mean taking away land. And it does mean taking away productive property. And it does mean taking away the reliance that you have on family. So this is something I talked about with family that it's like, it's not that they're anti-family, but, but we live in a regime in, in which what's normal is for your family to leave.
1: Right, and that's what's responsible. So for yeah. you to pressure your children to stay and to not go get that good job in Houston, right. wouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. be for you to be a bad parent. right. Right. Don't you think it's more important for them to go be successful? They need to go where the success is. Right. And it's like, and it's like, you're sad to see him leave, but it's for the best.
0: Right. And so it's no- right. What's normal then is also what produces a person who has less security outside
1: of. Uh, that's right. The, what becomes normal. It, it, re- it's, this is the irony on it. It relies upon the love of family. Yep. So that's the reason why you want your children to leave. Yep because you want them to be successful because you love them. Yeah. It relies upon that to build the norms that then undermine the actual power of the family. Totally. Right. Like this is, I mean this, I think this has been a tactic. This is a tactic of tyrants throughout all of history.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I think about, you know, the, the biblical description of tyranny that I always return to is in first Samuel. And he talks about, um, Samuel is prophesying for the kind of tyrant, or or just the tyrant that the israelite people will will live under because they've forsaken the rule of god and asked to be ruled over by by um a king like the other nations Mm -hmm. and one of the descriptions is not of like well the tyrant's going to like destroy your families it's that the the Tyrant is going to use your family. So it's your sons are going to be in the military Your daughters are going to be perfumers and bakers, right. um, They're going to they're going to serve the regime and most importantly you're you're not going to have land anymore um, And you're going to have to give a significant part of your product production uh, of any land that you use over um, over to the king and so what he what Samuel is describing is a situation in which, like the structures of family remain, but now the, well, the order that the family exists in is now to is now for the sake of
1: of the tyranny. Now, this is totally possible to shift in the opposite direction. So this is what this is what to go back to what you were talking about in a minute a, a while ago about how the fluidity of these norms, right? So you've you, you, you mentioned the way they operated in the biblical context. I was just talking about the way they seem to be operating now, but it's totally conceivable that you could get into a situation where what's the good and responsible thing to do for success is to return to sort of like a 1950s style housewife, kids at home type of scenario because we, we need more children and we need, like, whatever. I mean, it's totally conceivable that those norms could shift to some other structure.
0: More Christian-looking structure. More yeah.
1: Christian-looking structure. And that that would work in the same way to build power again for for the tyrants. I mean, that is a totally conceivable thing. In fact, we see it happening historically, right? I mean, the example of, of, of like, the Bolsheviks. Yeah, or, so
0: they, they, they began with really— um, Interesting notions of how it, we were going to be liberated from family. How it was this old passé structure that, um, when you know the communist man finally arose, there would be the production of people outside of you know traditional marriage, and it would be you know so so it was easy divorce, it was easy abortion, right. it was all of these policies um, that the Bolsheviks sought in order to have. Um, in order to have the new man and then it's <laughs> like 15 years or so later um they're doing the complete opposite it's like uh, abortions gone homosexuality homosexuality is criminalized and the ideal the I- ideology mm-hmm. is the housewife who's strong who raises a bunch of kids for mm-hmm. the husband and the husband goes and works I mean,
1: yeah. th- this was. The, I mean, that's the Bolsheviks.
0: That's right, like I, know. I know. It's that's like as the- radicals you can get. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. But it can cut. It can cut the other direction when necessary. Right, because why? Well, it's because
0: in, for the Bolsheviks they, they needed people. They everyone's yeah. dying on the front. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, right, right, right. Well, and 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 the thing about once you once you build a regime that's based upon sort of uh, uh, top down. Or big power structures that are predominantly responsible for the creation and, and propagation of the norms, which we can have a different, I think, podcast on propaganda. Um, then it becomes those norms then become enforced within the population, but they're not coming from below from the life of peace, they're coming from above from this pursuit of, of personal gain. Mm-hmm. Once you have a society that's that's um uh, itself tyrannical, so itself is a attempting. Its own gain by conformity to whatever it perceives mm-hmm. the norms to mm-hmm. be, it becomes malleable in that dramatic of a way. Totally. Like it's totally conceivable that in thirty or forty years from now, we could all look like Leave It to Beaver again. Totally. I mean, that's a that's a totally conceivable scenario.
0: Yeah, and again, I, it's it's sort of a trope of of talking about politics these days that everything's <laughs> about the pandemic. But it seems to me that when you look at the shifting of the rules with the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. there is some element of that. That's obviously because of the obscurity of the disease and of, you know, how, how, what's the best way to respond to it. But insofar as it's obviously a way of consolidating power and of making sure that the new regime, that's not even that new, but like the, the, the tyranny continues to work for the private gain of the tyrants. Um, it's obviously that the shifting of the rules itself creates a population that's Fearful, not of the disease, but of not fitting in, of of not conforming properly to the norm. Oh man! And the point is, this is the (laughs) problem. The point is not like uh, so the disease isn't real, and like these things aren't necessarily effective. The the point is that
1: it doesn't matter if they are. It doesn't matter
0: if they are or not. Right. I mean, I I go into a store, right, and and you know. There's a sign on the door that says, you know, everyone is obliged to wear a mask and then there's, there's people that are there and they're all wearing the masks on their chin. So then the which is fun, it's like, yeah, this yeah. is a fun story, right. everyone has a mask on their chin. Um, the, the primary source of COVID, of course, um, but what are they doing? It's like, it's like they already know that it, for them anyways, has nothing to do with what they don't care whether they're spreading the disease or not. That's not the point. No. Right. The point is to, in some way, within what they, their comfort and their pursuit of, you know, their face feeling nice or whatever it is, they still want to be normal. Mm -hmm. And,
1: and that, that's the scary part. This becomes, we have a mechanism in the United States for, for making that kind of normal behavior, actually giving it some teeth. Right, which is the, our tort regime, so the suing lawsuits. Mm. Right, so, so you see the same sort of thing. So I've seen this institutionally where because, because the norms that are being developed around COVID are what they are, to not follow those norms exposes you not to legal action, not to like the government, but to lawsuits, right, for liability. Right? and yeah. so the way you protect yourself from which is of course a juridical act right you're going to court there's a judge there people are suing you it's enforced by the government mm-hmm. right so there's an actual state backed teeth to it yeah. but it, it but it operates on the norms like the argument is you're behaving in an abnormal way mm-hmm. right like that's a demonstration that you're being irresponsible. Mm-hmm because the norm is this and you weren't behaving that way, mm-hmm. which is what it means to be irresponsible, which means you're liable, mm-hmm. which means you have to obey the norm. Mm-hmm. So even if you're not afraid of people liking you, even if you're not afraid of fitting in, even if you don't have that, that the truth of that, of that normalcy based form of enforcement has a, an alternative um, sort of extortion based way, of, mode of enforcement as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And it strikes me that the, obviously everyone who's within a tyranny in which norms have become fundamentally fluid and therefore they are now a malleable population to the will of the tyrant, um, obviously for those people following the norms feels like righteousness, right? Cause like you said, yeah, it, becomes moral. Uh, it becomes moral, right? It's the normal is the moral. And even in a state, I'm thinking of the COVID thing, when the rules are shifting so quickly that it would be, if we were being objective, it would be silly to, at the very least, it would be silly to associate it with morality. It's like, well, how could it possibly be that two masks is moral and one is immoral when that just changed? Like, but, but we really are leaning into it in some ways, right? There is this like sense of being the righteous person. And what I think is the big mistake that people within tyrannies make is imagining that their conformity to the norm, which has become fluid, is somehow means that they wouldn't conform to a norm that right now they're saying they don't. Right. Yeah. No, of course.
1: Right. So like the the, the question, which is almost, it's almost like a cliche, right? it's like, like if you believe what everyone else thinks you're the type that believes whatever, whatever anyone else, else thinks. thinks. And it I doesn't think. matter if that's Nazism or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It's like we don't...
0: this is what, what I mean, I, I just call it like true morality, like having a fixed place that is not simply trying to get a reward and trying to avoid a punishment, right? Something that's not afflicted by fear ultimately means that you, you believe something or you act in a certain way and that you... Um, Take that up to the point of martyrdom, right? Because that's right. Then you're willing to suffer. As the norms change, you don't change, and you suffer for you it. You suffer for it, right? right. So, so true so, morality
1: always has carries the, the form of the cross in it.
0: Exactly. And then right. the question then is that for the people who are righteous within tyrannies, um, do we believe they are martyrs? Because martyrdom isn't simply—it's not simply the end, right? When they finally crucify you, right? Martyrdom is courage throughout. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and Cru- you can know yep. the yep. martyrs around you. I think. Yeah, um, that's right from speaking with them and from, and from living with them. And <laughs> the martyrs I would suggest are, are not the people that are righteous about the things that the uh, regime is enforcing. Right. Right. It's, it's really interesting, right? Cause you have, you have, we have a, a great age of self-righteousness. Like we'll, we'll have signs like, like door signs that like list our beliefs. Yeah. You know, you see yeah, those creeds those are awesome. But they are. Uh, <laughs> this is a sort of funny story. I just saw a picture of a of a, You know, one of those creeds was that no human is illegal, right. and I just saw this picture of a, a sign that had all the other ones like love is love and um, science is real, and they had taped over and put out the no human is illegal one, ah. and and speculation, of course, is that well now there's the unvaccinated right so right, right, <laughs> some, right, right, right. <laughs> some humans.
1: <laughs> are less human
0: than others. Right. Exactly. But the point is that, that being a fundamentally malleable, uh, person who's afraid of losing punishment and reward. And so, and so, um, follows the norms is absolutely the condition for burning witches or for, you know, lynching people or going after the Jews in the middle ages. Like these are not the, That's right. Yeah. The the fact that it is right now associated with doing things that are frankly at the end of the day, no big deal. Yeah. Okay. So you wear a mask, you don't wear a mask, whatever. Well, you wear a mask is is what I'm saying. Um, That is no, (laughs) that in itself can't be the kind of uh, guarantee of resistance to the norm shifting.
1: Right. No. Right. I mean, it really is the case. I think that the people... You brought up witch burning. I think that's a great example. Like the people who are most animate in their condemnation of witch burning, like the most sure of that, how horrible that is and how bad it was and how it are probably the ones who would be most likely to be the witch burners <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, because of exactly the, the dynamic you're speaking of, that they're the ones who, who most completely conform, um, with the most zeal. Yeah. Right. Uh, now I, I want to go back to that idea of martyrdom, if we can, for just sure, a second, yeah. because I think it's really important. Because these these systems of of order, of peace, of contentment that we were talking about, these alternative nodes that are the thing that the tyrant wants to hurt and, and, and monopolize, if he can. Yeah, these are always based upon love. I mean, that's like the the, the, the fundamental the fundamental uh, principle that makes them work. But love, I think carries within it an openness to martyrdom in it, in it, it's very, um, exercise like, like to love is to make yourself vulnerable, right? Like, because when you, when you, if you actually love someone, right, you're, you're exposing yourself to the possibility. First of all, they may not love you back, which hurts really bad. You yeah. you may have to, um, sacrifice some personal good on their, uh, for their sake, I mean, that's another thing that you may very well have to do likely will. And that the, that openness to suffer then on their account is not something that comes after love right like it is intrinsic to what it means to love someone so when you when you build those structures you are building structures of martyrdom right right because that the the, the point at which they throw you to the lions is just the outliers those are just the reason why the people go to the lions is because of those small acts that because they have a society that really, in fact, is based upon love, which means it's already accepted the possibility of the cross, Right, like it already did it when they, when they decided to love right. to begin with.
0: Totally. Yeah.
1: Right. That's And that's then where you get the strength to resist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And it, it, it's, it comes from that. And for most people throughout most of history, the, the, the call to martyrdom is small are right? or, or not visible, not fancy. It's sure. not big, not spectacular. It's just, it's just the rare ones who have to go all the way. Mm-hmm. Right? Now that's the opposite of tyrannical power, right? Because that's, that's the willingness, that's that, that, that form of power that St. That Thomas talks about, the form of mastery that he puts in juxtaposition to the tyrannical, which is the mastery that you see, um, for example, of a, a parent over their child. Right. Which is the mastery for their sake. Right. Right. Power for their sake, not for the, for the sake of the powerful. And that, and so that, that itself carries in it already the willingness to buck the norms, mm-hmm. to suffer, mm-hmm. to be crucified. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and when we talk about the new polity, our, our goofy name here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, it's an order of love. Mm-hmm. And so it is a people who are at every point uh, at which they act, um, are acting for the sake of others and ultimately for the whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it means to be a member of the kingdom right. of God, as opposed to the city of man. Right. Um, and that's, a task for all of us, obviously. It's like, I don't think anyone has quite achieved it fully, at least in my office over here. Maybe Mary. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Mary has. (laughs) Um, but you know, it can sound quaint to say that, well, resistance to tyranny is, is through love, but it is through martyrdom. I mean, this is just historically obvious that, that it has to be from, um, a people who are not motivated in the same way the tyrant is motivated. I mean, you have to resist tyrant, right. tyranny. You have to not be a tyrant. That's right. And that means that your
1: um, tyrants can deal with other tyrants. Yeah, they okay. have ways of doing that. In fact, that's the whole thing. Right. right. Totally. <laughs> you, you just give them a job within the bureaucracy. Yeah, you give them a job, right? Promote them. <laughs> and if they're, if they're yeah, if they're, yeah, right.
0: Until um, so you get that one promotion
1: where they shoot you. Like yeah. They right, really welcome right. you into the room. Yeah. No, no, that's right. That's right. It, 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 that the, the form of martyrdom is the form that undoes the tyrant.
0: And that's a form of a, of a it's a civic form. It's a city mm-hmm. um, because it is, a, I mean, because it's a people that love each other. And so are constantly expressing the willingness to suffer for the sake of the other. Right. Um, and, and the reason why I don't think that's quaint at all is because um, we already know that the tyrant on some level relies on that willingness Absolutely. to suffer in order to create fear in order to, to motivate people who don't obviously are repulsed by his rule for, for private gain, um, to in fact have enough love in order for, uh, to have fear. That's right. You, have you to don't fear to lose it. You have right. to fear to lose it. And so what it means is that the tyrant at the end of the day is, is dependent upon, um, non tyrannical forms of love in order for his existence and that's it is right. not
1: true the other way around that is absolutely right yeah yeah so t- tyranny is parasitical
0: yeah
1: it's well, like evil. it's, it's, it's like, like evil
0: is, as a social form right evil is parasitical on the good and tyranny yep. is parasitic upon a civilization of that's love. Right.
1: right yep and 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 peace is prior to war yep Right, this is what Augustine says, and he's right. All wars are fought for peace, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. Peace and is not a is not a tactic of war.
0: Don't you think this must be what Jesus meant when he said that the kingdom of heaven is already among you? Like, because yeah, he's right. he's yeah. there to say, I want to build this kingdom, right? I want people to.
1: But don't you understand? It's already. But it's are. already there, right?
0: right. And, and and the reason that you can even conceive of building it is because it's already among you, right? And so I think that that. Um, yeah. I think that those kinds of reminders to a Christian people who are need to now in this day, learn more than ever to resist tyranny and to see their faith as expressly in, in some sense, expressly for the sake of resisting tyranny. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus didn't come down in the way he came down because everything was great. <laughs> like, um, the revelation of Jesus Christ does save and it's not saving us just from um, sort of vague, you know, a sort of vague problem is saving us from the very specific problem of structures of sin and, That's right. and, um, and slavery, slavery saves, up,
1: saves us from slavery yeah. brings us freedom. That's correct.
0: So off we go yep. per- pursuing a civilization of love. Um, and again, we're, we're here to discuss the mechanisms by which tyranny hides itself, right? Which are, are many fold. Um, and that don't always happen in one way. So it's not Mm -hmm. just a, it's not just a simple, um, you know, list of attributes for a tyrannical regime. Um, but we've got bureaucracy down and now we've got fear and cruelty,
1: social norms, yeah.
0: social norms. So we'll see what's next.
1: All All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye.